Welcome to the Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. The Bounce Podcast is a part of the Great Commission Collective. We want to help pastors be resilient in the ministry that God has called us to. And so this podcast exists to try to help encourage and equip you in leading a local church and in planting new churches. That's what the Great Commission Collective is all about. And the Bounce Podcast is a part of the Great Commission Collective. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church, a part of the board of the Great Commission Collective. Our mission at GCC is to plant churches and strengthen leaders. And we hope that this podcast is a part of how we're helping to strengthen you. And if you'd like to find out more about the Great Commission Collective, go to our website, which is gccollective.org. Today, we're going to talk about how we be more purposeful and intentional in taking the gospel to people of every culture, every tongue, tribe, and nation, but who live in our community. How, how can those of us who are in suburban contexts be more intentional about reaching the urban centers in our community? How can those of us who are in predominantly white churches be more involved with uh, doing ministry together with those who are in minority communities. Dahati Lewis is going to be joining us today to talk about all of this. Dahati is the lead pastor at Blueprint Church in Atlanta, and he is working to train and equip missionaries to the urban community. And, and we'll talk about what he means, what we mean by the urban community with that. Dahati's uh, ministry is called My Boulevard and you can go to his website, which is myboulevard.co for more information. But uh, I, I thought I should start my conversation with Dahati, not by talking about the urban center, but by talking about uh, one of his his trademark fashion uh, accessories. So my first question for you is, how many hats do you actually own? Man, that's fun because... When I think about my hats, like I'm actually looking at my hats and it's really, it's really about whether or not you're counting like just my bills, my, cause I got caps, I got bills and all that. But see, the thing is, is that people don't know really the story about my, my love for hats. And that's, that's the thing I'm, you know, I got a nice size head, you know, and just, but my head fits my body. Right. And so it fits my body right now. Cause you know, I'm, you know, I got 225 pounds now, 6'2", 225, you know, and so I have a head that fits my head. And so, but you got to understand this same size head, it was the same head that I had when I was 165, you know, 5'11", 165. It's like God decided to use my head first as, you know, to grow my head first. And so what happened was growing up, I never can find um, hats that can fit my head. So I can never find hats that fit my head. And so everywhere I go. And then, you know, just to give you context, like whenever you wear like the button hats, like I'm I'm like one of the last buttons or the last two buttons on the button up hats. So that's to give you context on where my head size is. So anyway, I'm like this from a kid. So I'm going and I'm having all that. And so I never can wear hats growing up because that was just it. Because I can never find hats that fit my head. One time I went up to New York and when I was in New York, my friend said, I got to take you to this hat stop. And I was like, I don't wear hats because and I told him why I didn't wear hats. He's like, man, you're going to want this place. So I went to a place and I went and I was in New York and it was just like, I went and I, there was actually hats that fit my head. 
And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I was just like, so I bought a hat there. And so for years, every single time I went to New York, I was like, I got to buy a new hat. So I went to this store and the store was called Gorin Brothers. So Gorin Brothers hat store. And so every single time I would get a hat, I would go to Gorin Brothers and it was in New York. So one time I was just like, I was like, man, I just, let me just ask, hey, do you guys have anything like this in Georgia? And it was just like, well, we have one in, you know, then they mentioned one by the beach, you know, Savannah and by the beach. And I was like, well, that's four hours away. That's might as well be New York, you know. And then it's like, but we also have one in a place that just reopened in a place called Pont City Market. And now you got to understand, Pond City Market is literally a 10 minute walk from my house. So I was just like, oh my gosh, God, you put this hat store here for me. So I went from about three hats at that time to now I've got about 20 something hats because of God placing Goran Brothers in my neighborhood. So was it God or was it the devil that did that? I don't know. We're we still, we gonna figure that out at the gates. We'll figure that one out at the gates. But right now I'm gonna hope that it's the Lord that placed here and he's, it's a part of his mercies in my life. So I, I've, I've heard you describe discipleship in the urban environment we we think about urban centers be, being food deserts. I've heard you talk about them being discipleship deserts. Why is that? Well, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think it's solely something that's resistant to our to the urban communities. I think the church is disciples is a discipleship desert in many respects. Um, but I also think that that is exposed. Everything is exposed all the more in urban environments. Um, because of the nature of urban environments, right? The like, And so when we planted Blueprint, it was just the idea of like, how do we embrace the beauty, the complexity of urban environments? And because like in urban environments, especially when I, when I talk about urban, I'm talking about like the new urban, right? Because a lot of times people think about urban, they think about solely the inner city urban. I remember going to um, a store, you know, the Urban Outfitters, and I remember walking into the Urban Outfitters and I was like, there's nothing urban about this outfitter, right? And I was just like, and that's what I recognized that urban is no longer defined by inner city, but it's defined by density and diversity. It's defined by different worlds colliding, clashing, and all of that. And so when you got all of those different factors um, in the urban context, when your neighbor no longer necessarily looks like you, talk like you, acts like you, right? There's so much diversity. And when you think about something that's so interconnected and interpersonal, like discipleship, right? That is a challenge in itself. This is, you saw that challenge all the way since the book of Acts in Acts chapter six, right? The Hebraic women, right? Were being, Hebraic widows were being overlooked by the Hellenistic Right. And so you see, whenever there's cultural differences, when God is calling us to discipleship, that's where challenges come because our discipleship shapes so much our worldviews. It shapes who we are. It shapes so much. And so when you when your neighbors no longer look like you, talk like you, act like you, those gaps make it more and more prevalent. And I think the urban context does that in a lot of ways. And, and because of that, even though there has been a movement to try to have more multicultural churches, churches that model diversity, we haven't seen a whole lot of traction because 
Like attracts like. People gather together with people who are like them. Do we need to figure out how to overcome that, or do we just accept that as the reality and try to figure out how to be the body of Christ writ large while we're meeting in different church contexts? Well, I think there's a that's a threefold answer that I would like to answer that question. I think one, we got to understand that we are currently set up to get exactly what we're currently getting. And if we're good with what we're currently getting, then just keep doing what we're currently doing, right? Like that's, you know, but if we want to see something different, we got to do something different, right? Because we all know that the definition of insanity is doing the same things, expecting different results. So that's one, I think. So if we are good with what we currently are doing, then don't change anything. Just do exactly what we're doing. Now, with that being said, I'm not good with what we're currently getting, right? And so I think part of that is, is the, I think the, the shift, um, one is recognizing that I think that we, our churches need to be as diverse as the local high school in our neighborhood. I think if you're, because the, the reality is, is that if, the local high school is in a diverse context, then I think that you, we ought to reflect the diversity within our neighborhoods. And so oftentimes I say, we have to shift from an ethnic missiology to a neighbor missiology, where we're just simply going back to asking the question that Jesus, you know, was calling his disciples as my neighbor, right? Like, how do I reach my neighbor, right? And I think that that is what we're doing. And oftentimes, our neighbors are defined by the school system, the school district, you know, the local public school system is a good radius of your, the neighbors in your neighborhood. And so I think that that is an important thing. And so if you are in an all Anglo neighborhood, then you need to reflect discipleship that reflects that, right? If you are in a a neighborhood that is 90% one ethnicity, right? And then your church needs to reflect that, as well. So I think that that is a general rule of thumb. The the issue is when we talk about cities, cities are majority, minority, multi-ethnic. If we think about most of the major cities in doing ministry in the city, majority, minority, multi-ethnic means a couple of things. Number one, it means there is a minority that's the majority. So a place like the city of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, 55% um, of the city of Atlanta is African-American. So you have the majority of the city is, is a minority. And so that's one way. The other way that a majority minority is a place like San Jose, where San Jose, the largest percent is Hispanic and it's like 18 to 20%. But then there's like 15% Asian and 12% African-American, 12, 15% white. So there is no true majority. Whenever you hear sociologists talk about America, um, basically, and they say America will become a majority minority by the year 2040. What they're saying is, it's not that there will be let that like Anglo's won't be the largest population. Their population size will just be under 50 percent. And so, but it's so, and it is in that we got to recognize that. And so, part of that means we people doing ministry in the city has to begin to reflect the diversity, the beauty, the complexity, the diversity of city. But the thing is, it's not just about only cities because as gentrification is taking place in cities, they're relocating the poor 
in the marginalized and the disenfranchised out to suburbs and rural areas. So even since the year 2006, they have said that there's more people living in poverty now in suburbs and rural areas than they now live in the city. And so historically, the church's response has been, let's just move away so, you know, to a neighborhood where people who can look, look like me, talk like me, and act like me. And it was just like, God is like, he's forcing us out of that comfort and forcing us out. And it's no longer like you got to go further and further out to find that kind of place. And so now we need to begin to reflect the beauty, the complexity of our neighborhoods. And so this is the reason why um, I'm a believer of like relooking at the way we're doing ministry and the way you go from just simply trying to do ministry from a Sunday gathering centric form of ministry, kind of the Saddleback Sam, homogeneous, the homogeneous unit principle model of doing ministry to more of a neighbor um, missiology, meaning, right, how do I reach my neighbor? So I'm married with six kids. And let me just say, if I try to get all of my kids surrounded about what we're going to do around dinner time, we would have a bad, like it, we would never get any type of unity. Because even if all my kids like a certain meal, they're going to find ways to disagree. And I think so many of us try to attract everybody by just simply putting on a Sunday service, putting on something that everybody likes or, you know, and you end up missing everybody. What we, and I think this is the reason why discipleship needs to be one of the primary platforms in which how we um, make disciples, in which Sunday gathering is a platform, but it's not the only platform on how we're going to go about reaching this next generation, especially in the urban context. I know that's a long question, long answer to your question, but yeah, that's what I would say. That that and that helps, and I I think it'll help steer our conversation. I'm I'm thinking about my own context. Our church tends to attract people from a wide area, probably people coming 15, 20 minute drives to come to our church. They're coming because of theological distinctives that they're attracted to. So it's less neighborhood driven and more driven about by those theological distinctives. In the meantime, I'm looking at the neighborhoods around us and. We just recently put door hangers on 400 homes around us, inviting people to come in. We've done events in the community trying to invite folks in. The environment we're in is probably a majority-minority environment, and yet our church is mostly white folks. We'd love to have our neighbors coming. Most of us don't live in that neighborhood or in those neighborhoods. So if you're coaching us, what do we do? Yeah, which, by the way, I, I do a thing called my boulevard. And at any time, we can definitely do a coaching with your your church to help you kind of think through that um, idea. That's basically what I do now as my new. So folks, folks who want to do this, folks who want to know about this can connect with you. We've got information in the show notes about how they can connect and how you can help them. OK, yep, good. That's 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 definitely the thing. But what what I would say with that is this. Um, a couple of things that I would say, just kind of thinking about that. Number one, I would say the idea that I'll constantly oftentimes talk to my church, we got to understand kind of the purpose of, of the gathering, right? And, and what we're trying to do both, and there's the gathering, but then there's also the scattering thing. As we are all on mission, I tell my church all the time, believers will drive 30 minutes to go to church 
but your non-believing friends are not, right? And so a lot of times what we got to do is how do we bring up a tangible expression of the church to where people live, work, and play, right? You know, to so that we are eliminating some of the obstacles that are doing that. So that's one. The other thing is, I really believe that your building, wherever you're gathering, needs to be um, brought to be seen as a missionary. And so like you have that asset that's within this community and how can we treat that as a missionary, even if you don't currently have somebody living there, you know? And so like, I think there's a twofold is until there are real live missionaries, that be, that that church becomes a missionary as the easy next step in thinking about how can this church be a beacon within the community, um, whether that's Monday through Saturday or other different things. And people have seen that expressed in many different ways um, based upon like this environment. And so like Blueprint Church, for instance, we have opened up our doors like we where we had what over 35 different nonprofits within our neighborhood. And when we came in, we just was like, how do we connect with the different people who are doing good in their neighborhood, right? You know, and how do we do those things? We partnered with school boards. We've had school board meetings here. A lot of times, like what I try to do is like, how do we shift from trying to find a person of peace, you know, that's an old missionary term, to becoming the person of peace in the neighborhood? And so how do we create the church to be, in a sense, a person of peace within that community so that it that is the place where the community comes together to get life in those things? A community center? Is that what you're talking about? That could be. That's an application of um, of it. It's, it's a community center. It's things like I said, school board centers. It's school board meetings. It's we've hosted after school programs here. We've done town hall meetings. Like we've done many different things in the neighborhood. But you know, and all that. And then what? That was kind of step one to just having someone just literally open the doors. You don't even have to like people that you are okay with partnering with. Just literally turning on and opening the door, because what you're doing right there is I'm building a relationship with whoever's opening the, that you're opening the door for. Mm-hmm. And that's a first step. So I don't have to run the program. I'm just opening the door with someone a lot that closely aligns with our values to seeing to say, hey, we got this this building. How can we how can how would you go about using that build the building if you were to u- utilize it. So let's talk up to the pastor who is in a suburban setting. It's mostly white. You look at the local high school and it's going to be a 90% white high school, but he's saying I have a heart to want to do something to to express the gospel in this community. Is is his best step to try to figure out how to partner with churches that are in that environment? What's your recommendation there? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One, I think it's always good to educate your people in the world in which they live, right? And so I think, you know, I think oftentimes we are, as pastors, we are to be people of Issachar, right? And the people of Issachar, the children of Issachar were people who both understood the times and knew what Israel could do or need to do. And I think that that is one of the things that we need to do. So constantly educating the people on how to engage biblically and holistically in the current affairs that's taking place in the surrounding neighborhoods and city around, right? So that's one. I think two, I think it's good to have healthy partnerships because you got to deal with both the head, the heart, and the hands, 
right? So what are some healthy partnerships that you can do? But again, when I talk about healthy partnerships, a lot of times we confuse middle-classism with maturity. We think the person who has the most money or the best, better living standards is the most mature. So I would say like create partnerships, not just simply only to bless, but in order to be blessed, right? And so create partnerships where there's a give and take relationship that Paul talks about in Romans chapter one to the church of Rome. He was just like, I can't wait to come and both give, but also receive, right? And so how do we create mutually beneficial partnerships with churches so we can kind of tear down this mindset that I'm coming as the middle class to help you as the lower class, right? And that's the thing, because we recognize that the gospel, um, James chapter one tells us, it says to those who are, you know, I'm a, my version, to those who are privileged, you need to think more lowly of yourselves, but to those who are marginalized and disenfranchised, you need to think more highly than yourself. Why? Because we're all peers at the foot of the cross, right? And so how do we build those types of things? So I would say that thing. So educate your people, engage in mutually beneficial partnerships, you know, with people um, in different contexts. And I think to that suburban pastor, I, I, I would, I, that's what would be a starting place in terms of doing, um, trying to educate them. It sounds like one of the mistakes pastors like me would often make is kind of that white savior mentality. We're going to come in and we're, we're going to, we're just going to serve you and help you and show you how great we are. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, and it, it may even come from a great heart, but what it does, it perpetuates kind of that mentality of I need, even for the person who is receiving it. Right. I don't know about you, but I've been on many mission trips, but I've also had the privilege of receiving mission trips. I lived in Honduras for some time and we recognize that the people who are primarily changed are the people who went on the mission trip, more so even the people who received them on the mission trip. So it's like why if with that type of understanding, why don't we make this a mutually do what God has been doing all the way since the beginning, like when he sent his disciples out to feed the 5,000, the disciples' lives were changed more than, than the lives of the people that were being fed, right? And so why don't we think about partnerships that are mutually beneficial and thinking that way instead of coming in that this is just good so I can just scratch my itch. So we have to begin to rethink of how we're talking about partnering, partnerships, but, you know, um, in that. And I think it's, I think it's one step further than what even when, when Helping Hurts, the book that they talk about um, that kind of tries to get at this is that we are embracing our mutual brokenness, but where someone may be materially broken, another one, you know, we're broken in different ways. So how do we reshape that? But in doing that, because like at Blueprint Church, I'm constantly thinking about like, we can't, we don't even call our ministry, like we don't have mercy ministry because it's like, what is mercy ministry where the people in which we're, that we all live in the neighborhood, right? And at some point, the people who are doing the ministry, like it's not just about us doing ministry to you. No, we are the church. And at some point it's you doing, we are all doing ministry in our neighborhood, right? And so if, because if you build a system that is perpetually, I'm going to always help you, 
as soon as you no longer need my help, there's really no place for you to be anymore, right? And so I think that that we just got to relook at our systems, um, both whether you're in the context that you're trying to do this partnership with or you are commuting to that context. We got to think about that. I'm guessing that there are that, that there's reason for there to be suspicion on the part of people in an urban context. If somebody comes and says, hey, I would like to help, we'd like to partner with you. What are the reasons for that suspicion? How do we overcome some of that? Well, I think part of it is longevity. You know, it's it's the it's sort of like the friend that has made many promises to you that you've but don't follow through in the promises. If you think about traditionally impoverished or marginalized, ministry to marginalized people, what happens is that we develop a missionary mentality. And those, a lot of times those missions, they come and they go. You come, you, you get connected your heart, but then for some whatever reason, there's no long-term sustainability. And even the churches that do create long-term sustainability, oftentimes they're sending different people, different faces, oftentimes there, which every time you bring a different face, you bring a different heart and different connect, different passion, different. So what happens is it's like, it's the dad or the friend that says, hey, I'm gonna take you out to dinner. And you do it for three times and then you stop taking them out. You never hear from them again. Yeah, you never hear from them again. But then the next person comes and says, hey, I'm gonna take you out to dinner. And they do it for four times and then they stop and never hear. And then the next person comes, hey, I'm gonna take you out to dinner. It's like, okay. Hmm. Yeah, You know, and so he's dealing, the person who is saying that is genuinely maybe like, I'm going to take you out to dinner, but the person who's receiving is like, is skeptical. I've heard that before. How long is this going to last? How, how much are you really in this? Do you really care or is there something else going on? And, and do you think that, that suburban churches that are, that are making efforts in this area, um, what, I'm I'm trying to think of those mixed motives that can be there where we'd say, I'm going to try this and they try it for a while and then they go, okay, that didn't work. Uh, I guess we'll try something else. I think there are people whose heart's in the right place. They're just not sure how to execute well on that. Yeah. And I think part of that is because of the short-sighted nature, right? That's sort of like, you know, if we were to take this to a kind of a marriage relationship, it's sort of like, oh, these first couple of years didn't work. So I'm going to go find me a new, a new bride, a new person to kind of spend that Right. And that's kind of the thing. One of the things that I constantly tell people, a problem is not a real problem unless it's your problem. And something becomes your problem, which makes it a real problem through one or two reasons. One is through authentic relationships. And the other is through proximity. I may not have a problem with something, but if my wife has a problem with something, I now have a problem with something. Right. Because someone that I genuinely love has a problem. The other reason why I have a problem with something is because it's my problem. I live, I experience, and this is around me and I got it, it's right in front of me. The problem oftentimes, and again, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying the problem that we're not thinking about with suburban churches trying to do church um, ministry in these neighborhoods is that both the relationship was built on the transaction, right? Of us doing this together. It's not built on real relationship. And so as soon as that transaction is gone, that relationship is gone. So it's not really built on relationship. And then the other thing, it's not a close enough problem to them to be a problem that they got to address on a real basis. 
So part of this is, is that we got to build relationships with partnering churches. That's beyond just simply the transaction that's going to take place. So the partnership is to you, Bob, not into me, that because of our hearts connection. So when we determine whatever we're currently transacting on is not working, then we find a new transaction because the commitment is to you, right? And to me and not the commitment to just this transaction, right? Because if I'm not willing to move to the suburbs or you're not willing to move to the city, right? Then it got to be built on relationship. It can't be built on just the transaction. If it is built on a transaction, we just know that this is a short term and we need to put a timestamp on this relationship. How important should theological alignment be as we as we look to work together? You know, I'm I'm, I'm looking at this and going, I'm aware that there are churches in the urban community where I'm just not sure how solid they are theologically and whether partnership there is a good gospel move. Well, I mean, I think that that, yeah, I think that's a relationship that you got to think about both ways. And I think one of the things that we got to understand is, are we talking about primary, secondary, or tertiary issues, right? And I think that's one. I think partnership and primary issues are of the utmost important if the goal is partnership in the gospel. Now, if the goal is hospitality, we partner with lots of, like I have a lot of partnerships with the school board system, with the rec center. Like, so we don't, we don't agree theologically, but my goal is not for us to both go together and communicate the gospel. Our goal is to create space to serve our community where I can create hospitable environments where I can make the enemy a friend, right? And ultimately, a brother and sister. So we got to define what the goal of this partnership is. But if you're talking about from a church to church partnership, the things I think that is important. So the question becomes: Is you know principle or like are these issues issues of principle, prudence, or preference, right? And so we talk about principle, principally driven issues. That means there's a verse and text within the scripture that we are saying is clearly in the Bible. Prudence is that there's not a verse in text per se. I, I don't have a verse in text saying, right, as much as we would like to say, but there is no verse in text that says vote Republican or vote Democrat. If there is no verse in text that says, now we can get into some of the issues and argue our point, but there's no kind of verse in text that say these things. So is it a prudence issue? Prudence is there's wisdom, but I can't give you a verse in text. And then preference is I like living in the city, you like living in the suburbs. That's preference. That's a preferential thing. God works in the suburbs, God works in the city. He's not like more common in the suburbs and more, you know, more present than the suburbs and less present than the city. No, God is present. And so that's, again, what we got to start figuring out is, is this a principle, prudence, and preference? And what is even the goal of this partnership? And I think that those are the things that you got to define when you're talking about any the parameters you got to set with any partnership that you're talking about. You've been working on this, I say this, this whole area of how the church can be more effective in urban cultures, how we can come together, how we can unite on this. You've been working on this for a long time now. Are you hopeful or are you discouraged? That's a, a trick question <laughs> because... I'm a, I'm a glasses half empty person, so I'm always hopeful. I also understand and have a healthy view of what I would say is a biblical understanding of what we're doing, what you and I are doing, whether you're in the suburbs, the rural area, or the city. 
Jesus says in, his, in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I recognize what God has called me to do is I'm poor in spirit. I have, I, I don't have a large bank account to make the kind of change that I want to make. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, right? Like I grieve the state of kind of where we are. I grieve, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who embrace their humanity, their sobriety, right? I'm human. And, you know, but then it says the fourth one, blessed are those who still hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so in that, I recognize that I'm poor in spirit. I recognize that I'm grieving and I'm mourning the current state of, of, of where things are. And I, and I recognize and embrace my humanity, but I still hunger and thirst for God's way to be done, his, his, his righteousness. And I also recognize this, that I'm going to die hungering and thirsting. That, because my, I'm never going to be satiated. I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm never going to be. So I recognize that as well. And I recognize that that's a part of living in God's kingdom. And for me, it's really about context. For me, I'm committed to seeing that taking place in an urban environment. But that's the same thing. That same reality has to be wrestled with, with the, the, for the pastor in the suburban context and the same for the rural context, because that's just a reality of it is. And so my lament may be different than the pastor in the suburbs and but it is also the same we're all but we are still lamenting so if you look back over the last two years is there something you can point to where you'd say okay okay we're making god's doing something here there's there's we're taking some steps in the right direction yeah well i think there's more people embracing the urban context there are definitely more churches and more churches being planted in urban environments, like even, you know, kind of like what I do in my boulevard and I get a chance to see like and raise up leaders that are ministering in majority minority spaces or people who want to engage. So I get a chance to coach and consult and I'm seeing more and more pastors who have this desire for us to come alongside them to coach and to consult them about those things. Part of it is, is like they're in churches. It's like my neighborhood has changed Mm -hmm. and I got to, I got to do something. Mm -hmm. Right. And so seeing that, um, you know, and I'm starting to see more and more churches like and more and more people plant churches in these neighborhoods. Like I'm intentionally like even kind of what I did with Sin Network. Like when, when I was with Sin Network, we had Send Cities and like in the Send Cities, we said, like, what are the 33, 32, 33 predominant cities that's not in the South where we can focus in on? In there because we know that the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. So we're seeing more activity in the cities, whether it's through church planning, whether it's through churches trying to revitalize and replant within cities. And so I see this emphasis on cities. And I think that that is important. And, and it's the same way is that we're recognizing that in the same way we send missionaries overseas, we got to send missionaries into our cities. And then, you know, in the same way we got to send, we got to raise up missionaries in our cities. Right. And that's the reason why. So like I'm from the city and I'm seeing God raise up people like me from the city who embrace the city, who don't think like it's not like if I was even a non-believer as a like if I was a non-believer, I would prefer to live in city. Like I'm not here because I'm a missionary to the context. I'm here because I love city. I prefer city. I prefer having living in a 2000 foot square house and having neighbors on left and the right. I I love the idea of the density, like the next door neighbors, the, like, I love that. 
right? And so we need people who love that and also people who are being sent to that and God has raised up the burden and that we need a both and, you know, to be raised up. And so I'm so excited to see that taking place over this last decade that I've, since I planted Blueprint Church um, and seeing God raising up missionaries who are sold out for the city. So here's my last question. Let's say there's a guy who's listening who wants to plant a church and he's a 32-year-old white guy and he's thinking, I I would love to go to the city. I, w- I would love to pastor a predominantly minority congregation. Should he just get over that and, and figure that ain't going to happen? Or is that a possibility? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. So what he would do is go to myboulevard.co <laughs> and then he would sign up for a church planning training program, which is for training leaders, pastors, planting couples in majority, minority, multi-ethnic spaces. That's what we do. We train leaders to go into these areas to train. And so in, in that cohort, you will see both black and brown, white, Anglo, you will see all different types of people, but all have a mutual commonality. They want to receive, they want to minister in majority, minority, multi-ethnic spaces. And I would even say this too, but the reality is that is by the year 2040, that's all of us. Yeah. That's not just some Hmm. niche of Christian living. That's all of us. And I like to relate what's going on in America is very similar to what has happened to our churches throughout history is that we have churches that were booming in the 70s and 80s, and then slowly our neighborhoods started to change. Our people started moving out to the suburbs, but we started commuting into the city, right? And then at one point, we realized that our congregation is now 70, 80, 90 years old. We, like There's no new families, young, growing up around, and we start realizing, oh gosh, we got to start doing something. And what happens? is that we then go find someone to try to help us reach our neighborhoods. We get back to the what got us the neighborhood. And I think that's the same thing that's happening with our denominations, with our networks, is that the world around us is changing. It's morphing. And we got to become missionaries to our the new reality of what America is and what it's becoming. And not wait till we're hypothetically 70, 80, 90 years old right? And it's too far. Like we know this is, it's already like like that in cities, but it's also going to be like that in suburbs and rural areas. And so now we got to recognize that we have the opportunity to make these changes now, right? And I think regardless if you are in the suburbs, whether you're in the um, um, rural area or if you're in the city, you have to, we have to be prepared for this new reality if it's not already the case. And so that's the reason why I'm doing the training, the coaching, the consulting with my boulevard is to help people to do that. But I think in the Bible is, is so filled with multi-ethnic, multicultural um, ministry. We just got to look and see the beauty that it speaks to. There's a reason why you start with a homogeneous church in the book of Acts made up of all Jews and you end with a multi-ethnic church. It didn't come because of a great idea it came through some intentional things and God forcing us out. And that's the same thing that's happening right now. God is forcing us out of our comfort zone and are kind of building up our own modern day tower of babbles with people who look like us, talk like us and act like us. And he is forcing us to 
multiply and to be fruitful and to fill the earth made up of different people groups and different things. And so we just got to, we got to embrace the new normal. Well, again, if you'd like more information about the ministry that Dahati has to help train and equip church planters in an urban context, you can go to myboulevard.co for more information. That's in the show notes here. There's also information about books and resources, uh, things Dahati has written, and a link to the uh, Blueprint Church website, so that if you'd like to find out more about what Blueprint is doing in Atlanta, you can go there. And of course, we'd love to have you join us as we seek to plant churches and uh, strengthen church leaders through the Great Commission Collective. Find out more about GCC at gccollective.org. Now, recently, the Great Commission Collective had a series of marriage events for pastors and wives where we focused on some of the unique challenges that husbands and wives in ministry can experience. Next time on The Bounce, you're going to hear some of the questions and answers that took place during those marriage events. I'll be joined by Trent and Andrea Griffith and by GCC President Dave Harvey as we tackle some of the questions we received from pastors, planters, and their spouses. We'll talk about your marriage next time on The Bounce.